please enjoy this sport bloke segment from an upcoming or recent episode. So, Shui, the NBL Grand Final is now complete. Melbourne have won. They are champions. They are very deserving champions. Probably good we did have that week off due to the uh, COVID lockdowns because we might have been a little bit too salty last week. Do you remember that big head at SciTech where if you put something underneath it, it would be like, I'm hungry. and then you, Salt. Yeah, you'd put a lemon and like, mmm, sour. If you put our podcast last week under that head, I think you would have gone, salty. I think it might have been sweet, to be honest. <laughs> sweet no, from Melbourne. No, it would have been very, very salty. But look, we've we've had enough showers. We've washed all the salt off. We're, <laughs> we, we're good now. Maybe not all. <laughs> well, look, it's been a couple of weeks. The sting's kind of worn off a little bit. And it was a fascinating scenario, wasn't it, really? It was a battle of the deepest team versus, well, what could be considered the most shallow due to injuries. And I've got a stat on that in a sec. Kind of like the 2007 Cleveland Cavaliers, except with no LeBron James. <laughs> <laughs> would have just been Booby Gibson and Anderson Verajao and a bunch of... Other... They weren't injured, though, were they? They were just crap. No, no, just crap. Exactly. <laughs> well, they weren't, well, yeah, LeBron wasn't. But look, a very, very expected result. 3 nothing. We kind of called it... Well, I certainly called it before the, the series started. You thought we might get one, but... Obviously... I did, based on the fact that they didn't sweep South East Melbourne and they were actually kind of lucky to escape South East Melbourne. Hmm. They kind of choked it away for them. So, yeah, yeah, that's why I thought Perth might win one. And the injuries deepened a lot more after you made that prediction. Yes, as well, they did. They did. So, yeah. But I think one of the most surprising things about that whole series was that not one game was decided by more than 10 points. And... I dare say a very small percentage of that series was more than 10 points the whole time. And this was particularly surprising in Game 3, given that Melbourne absolutely exploded out of the blocks at home. Well, it was 17-5 within a couple of minutes. I kind of felt like it was going to be a blowout. Chris Goulding hit two threes in the first 80 seconds. Yeah, he was looking good early. And you just thought, oh, this does not bode well. I thought it was a lock for MVP too. But apparently not. No, I mean, I, I certainly think Landale, whilst he didn't shoot an amazing percentage, I think his defensive presence, I think his rebounding was... Yeah, he had a 17 like, rebound game in one of them, yeah. Yeah, and he had nine, I think it was, in game three as well. So, yeah, he, yeah. he was on the boards quite a lot. So I've got no problems with him winning. Oh, they were both fitting. Yeah, yeah they both would have been fitting him. Far out. If the Wildcats had won the series, Kevin White would have been finals MVP. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, probably Mitch Norton, actually. But, well, yeah. I think Kevin White played out of his skin. Ke- Kevin White was excellent. Excellent. A lot of people were focusing on his scoring. He didn't protect the ball well, as I mentioned yeah. last time we recorded. And I think some people maybe glazed over that a little bit, but no doubt he was very good. He hit some really key shots and the margins would have been much bigger if it weren't for him. Yeah. And it, look, it has to be said in game three, I think the one thing that kept us in the game and us obviously being Perth yes. was the rebounding battle. So yeah, yep. dominated early. It ended up at 50 to 35 in the end, which is still... An absolute shellacking as far as a rebound count goes. Yeah, it is. But at one stage, the Wildcats were more than double what United had. So that's the only reason, I guess, that we were able to stay in the game, extra shots. But Melbourne just got a ton of points off turnovers. And obviously, in a game like this where you're already losing your best player, you can't really afford to have turnovers. And even more so, you can't afford to allow points off them. So, look, it was a a very great effort by the Wildcats and certainly one I'm very proud of as a Cats fan. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure you're the same. And obviously, I'm sure Trevor and every Wildcats fan would be very proud. Yeah, no, no, no doubt at all. It's interesting, though. So I read in the news.com.au kind of right up after game three, and I'll quote, From a COVID outbreak within the team in pre-season to 11 straight road games leading into Friday night's title clinching game, United has a case to claim that this was the most difficult title to win in league history. Immediate thoughts? Okay, here's where this goes from a a clean podcast to an expletive. Yeah, here's where the salt comes. (laughs) 
fuck off. <laughs> so seriously. So, so look, we we read the stats two weeks ago. They played twenty two of their thirty six games in Victoria. Well, might have even been twenty three. Uh, I mean, not even that though. I mean, here's what. Uh, look, I don't want to diminish the championship. Every championship is a good one. Yeah, Melbourne should be very proud of themselves. They played superbly well. They deserved it. Apparently, all but one of their players got COVID preseason, which is not something I'd heard. I don't know. I haven't verified that, but I have heard that knocking about. So that's amazing too, right? Hmm. Yes, they did lose their home court. Perth got the first two games at home due to COVID, and they were on the road a lot at the end. So we do need to acknowledge that. So they, they, that was a fair effort at the end, albeit granted neutral court in the semis, but it was still away from home. But at the end of the day, the numbers don't lie. Whether they played a whole bunch of games away from home at the end of the season they still played nearly two-thirds of their home and away season games in the state of Victoria. And, well, th- this is what I want to focus on to kind of counter that idea of most difficult title in league history. Again, very worthy champions indeed, but I've got to counter that point. Three-time MVP and NBL champion and two-times final MVP Bryce Cotton played zero minutes in the series. Mitch Norton played 61 out of a total 120 minutes. Luke Travers played 18 in just one game, and Clint Steindl played 13 also in one game, missing the other two. So yes, Melbourne completed a clean sweep 3-0, but they only won by an average margin of less than six points per game. It was something like 5.66 recurring or something. And they were pretty much full strength, but for Jack White. So to even suggest, I mean, I, I look, I, I don't even know. Clearly, whoever's written this for news.com.au probably hasn't watched more than two hours of basketball in their life, and it's a ridiculous statement. Look, simple rhetorical question to counter that. Where was the adversity? Okay, yes, you've mentioned they, the, road the, games. the players all had yep. COVID before the season, but that's before the season. That's not during the back half of the season or whenever or during the playoffs. They didn't lose anyone after Jack White, and Jack White was a long time ago. Oh, yeah, they had a lot of time, and they were the deepest team in the competition too. Yeah, so, so that, that is utterly ridiculous. I can think of a bunch where other teams were missing players and won or, yeah, had to come back from one nothing down in a three-game series. There's just Well, a- I even talked about that one in 95 when Perth lost game one at home and then had to win on the road to force a game three. Yeah. And I, think- I mean, you couldn't think of countless. If you just yeah. look through the record books. Okay. <laughs> yep. No, look, honestly, though, all jokes aside, very well done to Melbourne United. Yeah. Oh, look, to- it's good for the league when Perth isn't winning all the time. Yeah. And to be honest, it'd be better for the league if it wasn't Melbourne either, because they've won a couple as well in the last few years. But for a healthy league, we need multiple teams winning. We need it to be shared around a bit. So I didn't think there was such thing as a moral victory in NBL finals until this year. I'm so proud of the team. Yeah. Amazing effort by the Wildcats. And again, spectacular effort by Melbourne. Jock Landau probably off to the NBA, I guess. And I half, guess half their team lost in free agency. Yeah, well, do we go there first? Yeah, we can do. So Mitch McCarran signed a three-year deal with Adelaide. And look, it all happened so quick, didn't it? And and maybe it was fitting, because I know on the NBL Pocket podcast, and again, a shout out to them, Joseph actually got in touch with us privately a while back. So big thank you to them. He said it was a fitting end to the season, and it just kind of petered out. And Andrew actually said there were no bragging rights for Melbourne. And there's probably very few, which mm. for the reasons we've just mentioned. But one of those things that really bothers me about modern sport is no one has any time to celebrate. No one has any time to let the dust settle on the silverware. We jump straight into what's happening next. 
So I remember one year when the Spurs won the championship, my folks were in the States and I asked them to get me a copy of the Sports Illustrated magazine that celebrated and documented the finals. And what's on the front page? A picture of Jason Kidd in a Spurs uniform because there were rumours they were going to trade Tony Parker for Jason Kidd. So I hate this. It's like, can we just let the team enjoy the win? But this year it actually felt fitting because of the way it petered out at the end and just, yeah, it was a bit of a foregone conclusion. And so, yeah. Free agency is here. Yeah, and as we mentioned, yeah, they've already lost Mitch McCarron. Uh, Sam McDaniel went across to the, the new Tassie. team in Tassie. Yep. So they've lost two of their, their starting five already from that final series. And Tassie have pinched Magne and Steindl from the Wildcats and nearly pinched Mitch Norton from the Wildcats too. Yeah, the Magne one's not officially set in stone, but no. it looks all but ready to go. Jack McVeigh's gone down there from Adelaide as well. Which is a great, so he was their first signing. The Jack Jumper's first signing was a guy called Jack. Jack. And he he can jump pretty well. He's very charismatic. I'll love to see what he does in the community. I think he'll be a great ambassador for the team. That's an excellent signing. I really like. So look, there have been some really great sort of re-signings, I guess. If you look at Sydney, they've re-signed Xavier Cook. They've re-signed Jarrell Martin. There've been a few other guys like that that have re-signed. And we haven't seen the best of Martin yet. Absolutely. When he's healthy, he's a beast. Yeah. So I think Sydney will be much improved next season. Yeah. And Majok Majok just re-signed with Perth. Correct. Oh, the other big one, of course, is Yanni Wetzel going to the Breakers. New Zealander by birth, I believe. So a big coup for them. I think that was a three-year deal as well. Mm. So that's a good signing. wonder if that possibly indicates that Colton Iverson might be heading away. Oh, almost certainly. Yeah. yeah. Kind of odd if they had both of those guys. Yeah. And look, big ups to Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. Okay, yes, they've lost Wetzel, but they've re-signed Ryan Brokov, Isaiah Liafa, Kyle Adam and Mitch Creek. They've all... Retaining the core. All recommitted. So... Yep. They obviously understand how close they were this season. And if they can get a pretty decent big guy, I think they could run it back and certainly make a decent run at the championship next year. Oh, absolutely. Now, the other thing we haven't discussed yet, Stewie, is the Gazies. It's all fairly straightforward, isn't it? There's probably not a hell of a lot of surprise. I mean, referee of the year, Chris Reid, I think that was... uh... (laughs) Well, referee of the year in the NBL is a contradiction in terms. Yes. Uh, There's been some rumblings that they're going to try and improve the state of referees in the NBL and have more full-time roles and that sort of thing. I'd like to see some ex-players like Hayward Workman in the NBA, for example. I'd like to see some ex-players be refs in the NBL because... Phil Smith. Well... (laughs) Maybe not. Be, maybe not the general. He'd be great. He'd be great. <laughs> but but I think that would be good for the league, and I think it's good to have much like former players are often coaches because they know they've been in the front line. I think it might be good for them to try and recruit refs from that pool as well. But no, look. Aside from that, we kind of guessed most of them. Bryce Cotton MVP, fairly obvious one there. Same with Josh Giddy as rookie of the year. Justin Simon as defensive player of the year. I think most people probably had him. Probably one of the closer awards in terms yeah, of... Yeah, 1-1-A one one with Mitch Norton. And it yeah. would have been nice if Damo had presented Mitch with the award in his name as almost a literal passing of the torch. But Simon was excellent. He was excellent in those semis. I have no problem with that at all. Yeah. Sixth man of the year, Joe Luala-Chul. I, I don't think anyone has a problem with that. He was sensational off the bench for Melbourne United. Pretty unstoppable there. offensively down low. Very tall. Yep. Yep. Sam Froling, most improved player. Again, I think you had him for that. I, I think him or Hunter, it was, again, that was one and one A as well. Yep. I think they both had superb seasons and they're both good young big men for Aussie. Yep, coach of the year, Trevor Gleeson. That was, you know, not a surprise, but it's always nice to see Trevor getting the recognition for what he does and, and what he's achieved for a team that most people had picked, including us, not to even make the finals. And it's his first coach of the year with the Wildcats. He did win one with Townsville, yes. but it's his first ever with the Wildcats in spite of all those championships. And I think the way the finals played out, given how close it was, yeah. I think justified that selection. I actually find Dean Vickerman might be a bit overrated. Mm, interesting. Yeah. 
But anyway, yeah, well, I think he was a deserving winner. Look, I think someone with Melbourne United who isn't overrated, though, Mark Boyd, won the executive of the year, had a, a great year, put together a sensational roster. Super deep. So, look, well done to, to Boyd and everything that Melbourne United have, have achieved over the last 12 months. Now, there's rumblings they might have spent double the soft cap, but I suspect the Wildcats spent a bit over the soft cap too. Oh, I'm not so. going to get involved in that yeah. one. <laughs> Let's let that one go through to the keeper. Now, the other big one, finally, in the NBL is the Wildcats' ownership. It's still very unclear if they have to divest their ownership in United or not. And it's complicated because it is an ownership group rather than one individual. We might see how that plays out more over time. Yeah, I think it's probably still early days. But the Cats fans aren't happy about it. I've been following that on Twitter and Reddit. Yeah, they're, they're still not very happy about it all. Thanks for listening to this Sport Bloke segment. Why not listen to the full episode and check out their Twitter at Sportblokes.